Hi everyone, welcome to A to Z Talks, and today uh, we're talking about our alphabet of H, and it's let's highlight how singing impacts young people. So we're joined by Naveen and Jane today, and so to start off with, an icebreaker. So to Jane first, um, so if you were to describe yourself as a chocolate, what would it be? Ooh, good morning everybody. Um, if I were to describe myself as a chocolate, well, I think I would be a 100% no sugar black chocolate with brazil nut and cocoa nibs oh, nice no sugar bitter then wouldn't it yes but not if you smear it with the most delicious organic honey oh <laughs> makes sense makes sense so our next icebreaker would be going to naveen would you rather have 30 million pounds or 30 million loyal friends oh that's awkward <laughs> I could get all of my 30 million friends a lottery ticket if I took the 30 million pounds and one of us is bound to win, right? Um, <laughs> I'd rather have 30 million friends. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely go for the 30 million friends as well because because they're loyal friends. You can each like ask for two pounds or five pounds from each of them and every one of them will give it. So times up by 30 million. And also imagine just running for like presidency with that. Mm. You get all your 30 million ele- <laughs> um, votes. So that'd be cool. All right. So um, questions to uh, both of you. So a brief intro of yourself and uh, what you're currently doing. Really quickly, I'm an Indian kid who was born there. I moved to Scotland when I was very young. I started playing piano and the piano kind of developed as a thing, even though as an Asian kid, I was supposed to be a doctor when I grew up. Piano turned into musicals and theatre and the theatre then turned into musical theatre, choruses, which then turned into choirs. And now as a 42 year old, I live in London as a choir director, I'm working in lots of organisations that do choiring things. So that's a little bit about the kind of potted background. I have a six year old kid who's a beautiful little girl. Uh, I have a cat. He's totally crazy. Um, yeah, that's the roundabout round history of NAV. <laughs> Great to hear that, NAV. <laughs> um, yes, well, me, I was born, um, I'm, I'm white, female, she, her. I was born in Gambia, West Africa, and I was raised mostly in Libya, near Tripoli. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up listening to being exposed to much of that Middle Eastern music and African music, but also listening to Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and Carole King and people like that who are my strong influence and uh, yeah that's it I now run um, a small business called Living Song CIC mm-hmm. I found my way there pretty much by accident the whole way for the last 40 years um, I think I set out to try and set up a pottery business and I ended up running my own music community and education business so there you go you never know what the future holds for you Has it been tough for you during these times for your small business? I would say well we, we took a bit of a dip we had to we had to cancel a couple of um, end results of singing projects, community singing projects were meant to be big performance events and we had to cancel those. But the choirs I run, I run an adult choir and I co-run a a youth choir with with Naveen, who's on the call, and we we have been able to put those online. Mm. Plus I have created some films for one or two schools and we're running another songwriting project called Artist Approach. And the whole, all of it has been online, right, creating resources for people to collaboratively write their own songs and writing songs and producing songs. And it's all happened via Zoom. So mm-hmm. I wish I'd taken out shares in Zoom, don't we all? Definitely. I, I will just say, I, I really miss hearing voices. I hadn't realized how powerfully important it is to, mm-hmm. I think a lot of what I do is because I absolutely love to be in the mix of voices and hearing voices the sound of singing together and people expressing themselves through voice that's the one aspect of all my work that's been taken away everybody's muted Mm. and it that has been a 
personal emotional struggle. I don't know how everybody else has found, but really, that's I can't wait to get back in a space in April and hear people sing again. We're all looking forward to that soon. Yeah. So, um, how did your guys' journey start in singing? Um, yeah. How did my journey start in singing? Well, I think it probably started with my listening. So, listening, as I say, to the likes of Beatles, world music styles of singing, you know, improvised Middle Eastern scales and singing. And I loved singing. I never thought I was very good, and I never took it very seriously. I thought it was a hobby. I did learn some piano. Um, my dad was a pianist and my mum apparently used to play in a band, the piano accordion, but she gave that up when she married my dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's another whole <laughs> thing there. But um, so I never took it seriously until I saw an advert in the window of a cafe saying, you know, we'd like a singer guitarist to come and sing in the corner on Saturday nights. Mm. And I played a bit of guitar and I thought, ooh, that would be a job. <laughs> I need some... I need a job, I know some songs, I can play the guitar. And that's where my career started. I, I started playing in wine bars, piano bars. I went on to piano bars when the guitar singing stopped and I joined a band, I set up my own rock band and it's just sort of been a journey bit by bit. None of it planned in advance, really. They came, I came to it that way and then I had a record deal and then I had a publishing deal and then I went into teaching, which I didn't expect. You know, I, I didn't know I was going to become a teacher and I discovered a passion teaching and uh, I haven't looked back really. What age was that when you saw the window advert? I had started nurses training. I I took up nursing because Mm -hmm. I wanted to find something that would get me away from home. Mm. I was 18 and I didn't have any really good school qualifications. I think I had five not very good O-levels. I didn't do well at school really. And I was nursing but I didn't really want to be a nurse although I I enjoyed lots of that so I did my nurses training and it was just before my final exams I saw this advert and um, I decided to go and do that instead of my nursing which my dad didn't speak to me for about six months because I didn't qualify I <laughs> I didn't I couldn't see myself professionally being a nurse mm-hmm. so um so yeah that's how that started it you know, as I say just uh, guided by the by my angels maybe it's funny I'd like to echo many things that Jane said I think one of the one of the things the world tries to teach us is that you have to be qualified to be a thing and we forget that as jane so well put you've been listening to music the whole of your life and just the way that you learned language your brain's already learned music it understands it's it's been building plans and schemas and you know identifying things for itself just like it identified your mom's voice and your dad's voice and your family's voices and understood when you were in trouble or when you weren't um, and when things were okay or when people weren't okay all those little kind of dif- differences it's able to recognize it recognizes them in music and it's really strange that you know we require training in music except we're all natural musicians it, it's there we have it as, as an ability so my my journey um started the kind of wrong way i guess in that it wasn't about listening because my parents must have had music on in, in the family but it never really featured um, it was just because I was an Indian Asian kid um, and, you know, you just had to be good at stuff. So go play piano. It wasn't until I was much later that I discovered why my mom had such a burn on to make me learn piano. And it was because when she was growing up in a very difficult situation in India, they didn't have the money to be able to fund her ability to study piano. Mm. So the best she could do was walk into the music room and like touch the piano and then walk away because she wasn't allowed to find, you know, they didn't have that. So when she could get free education in the UK, when I was arriving, when I was six back in the early eighties, um, you know, she grabbed every opportunity to try and give me these things that she never had. Now, as a six-year-old child, you don't understand these things. But all I did was I just practiced a lot. I was made to practice a lot. 
um, made. It wasn't really a thing I wanted to do. I didn't have any like of it or passion of it until much later. And then when I was 12 or you know 11, I discovered, well, I could do this thing that none of the other kids could really do as well. And so that was nice, I guess, but um, it didn't make up for much. But then I, I went to a music school. So I went to a boarding school where we were all just specially studying music. And it was good for me because I, I started to understand what it took and, and started to enjoy it a lot more. Um, and then it wasn't until I was much older that I then started to understand what music actually was and that it was just the sharing of, of joy through sound. Um, and that took till I was in my early 20s. And now, the, the other thing that I, I then bounce off what Jane said was your parents uh, or, or you know, responsible adults are all looking to try and protect you from the stories or the mistakes or the, you know, the alleged pitfalls of life. But they kind of can't. You have to make your journey and learn. But the one thing that they all know is you can't be an actor or a singer because, good Lord, that's not an easy career and you're never going to make money. So how are you going to be safe? Mm. So, you know, they're all very keen that you go off and do stuff. And I'm an Indian kid, so I had to be a doctor, right? So um, my parents went through a bit of the frustration that Jane's parents went through in that suddenly I was doing music all the time and I wasn't actually studying my biological sciences degree up in Edinburgh. And suddenly I was doing music all the time and having failed my biology degree, switched to psychology. I didn't do that either. And I was still doing musicals and shows. And then I moved to London to try and grow up a little bit and I get a real job. So I came to study events management and music and media management in London. And even then, I, I, you know, I just had too much energy to go off and do music. And what I hadn't realized was you can benefit so many people, you can help people through music. And so I was doing what I kind of thought I wanted to do with my life, which was to help people and heal people. But I was doing it through music. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I, I started to understand that this was a real thing. And I mean, now I'm in my early 40s and my parents are still waiting for me to grow up and get a job. But I've been lucky enough to be influenced by people like Jane and others. So I've grown in understanding how the teaching and the, you know, the sharing of music is really powerful for people. And I'm kind of self-training as a musician now. I could physically, gymnastically play an instrument. That was fine. But I didn't understand why all the sounds made sense in my head or how they connected. And so, you know, it's an amazing place where you can grow, find yourself, learn about cultures and languages and whatever, but you can find 30 million friends. Um, you, you can do so much good for those 30 million friends. And you can do it all without any real level of training, but the training has been there the whole time. And that's, that's the misconception of education, that music absolutely has to be required to have qualifications after it in order to be a musician. And then you look back in time and you see all the people who are great musicians never studied music at school, didn't you know, go off and do a degree in it. And, and my, amongst my greatest mentors is the other person on this call. And they've just admitted that they didn't go to university and music college and study music and do it the formal pathway. They discovered their way into it. And then they discovered through teaching as a passion, mm -hmm. the music was a great vehicle and tool for that. So it's an interesting, when you said we want to highlight this as young people thinking about the careers we make and the choices we make, both of us have just said we had no idea where the plan was going. We had an idea. We thought we knew where we were going, mm -hmm. but we journeyed and we were willing to look for open opportunities and hear guidance from people and take those opportunities as they came. Yeah. So that was my journey into music. A follow up on that. So you said you mentioned like you helped people by music and heal. So how did you heal people? Can you give an example when? So there is now a great body of science mm -hmm. behind the reality that doing music elevates all kinds of the neurochemical responses in your body. So you are uh, happier when you are doing music. You are you're better off in terms of your well-being 
um, however it is in science, they assess these things. But um, there's science that comes out of Scandinavia that says that when we are all singing together, our heartbeats unify. So you know, our heart rhythms all unify. And our breathing obviously has to unify because we all have to sing the same thing at the same time. So there's things around that. But when you're breathing better, your body is working better because the blood oxygenates better, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So in the very most simple, basic way, the act of singing is good for you. It's good about posture. It's good about breathing. And then, it, you know, it's calming. It helps find and express and release emotional front. Now, there's a lot of other science that says your brain is the most active it will ever be when you're in the practice of music because everything is on fire. Your physical motor neuron uh, complex so that you can manipulate muscles, make choices. So instrumentalist or, or singer, you're, you're, you're physically controlling your body to do that. Your emotions are running because you're and your memory is on fire because it's pulling information and making choices all the time. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, all of those combined, there's adrenaline and there's excitement and there's unpredictability. So, you know, all of your risk management systems are running as well. So it's amazing. So you are remarkably engaged when you're doing music. So one of the things that's amazing about it is it allows you to get away from everything else. It allows you to put down the fear of something or the struggle with something or the issues that you might be carrying in life at that point. Mm -hmm. So for a couple of hours, you get in a room and you're doing this music thing, there's freedom for a little bit, actual, real, almost real freedom for a moment. You're just humans standing in a room together without any conditions on that. Um, and then there's the reality that actually there's a lot of science that's now showing that the long-term benefits are actually huge. So as a pain management system, as a stress management system, um, music is a, is a great way forward. And so what I was starting to see was physical, real-life stories of how this would happen. And I'm sure Jane has a million of these messages. But every so many weeks, you get a message from somebody in your choir or your chorus that says, you know, I've been going through this, or I got this news, or I just lost my parent, or, you know, all of this stuff has been happening. And thank you so much for choir, because that's where I've gone to try and cope with all of that stuff. So there's a real emotional support system and space that is created around music. That is the safe space that is effective healing. And now you watch the NHS as they start to develop their social prescribing programs. And that's because we've recognized that it isn't just the medication that's healing. It's the well-being of the person that's key to the, the healing process. Yeah. So they are now starting to socially prescribe arts, et cetera. Now, it's happened in time in the past, but it's now becoming more stated in a real thing. So what we are doing is we're going into rooms of people who might be, I, know, I have colleagues who run choirs with women that were trafficked. I have personally run choirs in rehabilitation centers and with people who are uh, in prison um, at present. So, you know, for the last few years, I've been working in prisons. And, and you have all these supposed situations in which people are going through stuff or being other things. But really, when we get in the room, it's just choir. It's just amazing. It's just music stuff. Um, but it's that you can suddenly engage all those people together, rehumanize them, allow them to know that they have that permission to be a human and a, a fellow and a colleague, if I can use that male bit of the term, mm -hmm. fellow. Just the idea that we're all equal in the room. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's that in itself is magical. But then you get to the actual physical science and you start to discover that there's there's healing property going on all the time. Um, that I mean, that's a lot of information and detail. Sorry, uh, but I, I think yeah, that answer is so huge. The question is so big that you know we could there are whole podcasts, whole books, whole you know series of, of, of lectures that you can find on online about this topic. Yeah, could I just pick up on what Nav was saying mm -hmm. earlier? Because 
you answered that so so thoroughly now and and i couldn't agree more i think we're still only just beginning to discover the the power and importance of singing as a tool for social connection for healing um i've been doing some study recently with musicians without borders who work with traumatized communities and they deal with trauma and they're doing ongoing research um around the power of singing to address trauma to help people reconnect with themselves and with others socially so you know all of that is so important um there's also not to forget the the power of music itself to be in music to to be in a strongly socially sung unison song together to be in harmony with other people around you is just the most wonderful thing and feeling so there's the there's the social side is so important and especially now post covid but also with all the migrant communities the amount of migration going on at the moment due to the environment so much so many people dealing with trauma so the social side is really important and so is the art side it is an art it is an art form and um we must not forget that as well that the sheer beauty and wonder of the art for itself for its own sake is is um something to be yeah mm-hmm. celebrated mm. and enjoyed i just wanted to say that so with your expertise in music you mentioned earlier so what what kind of impact did you gain from from music a lessons or significant lessons you can share do you mean now or historically could be now yeah could um, be recently or something yeah okay Well, it's quite interesting because again I'm tying into it. it's so interesting hearing now we don't get to talk on this kind of level very often so I thank you for that opportunity. <laughs> And um now talking about, you know, that his mother didn't have the opportunity to make music and would love to have played and then was very determined that her son should play and have that opportunity and my father played piano but he and he was a wonderful pianist but he didn't read a note of music he he was an improviser and he played very a musician called Errol Garner who you may not have heard of Billy but um he was another improvising musician who picked up everything by ear and find a way and so my dad twofold wanted me to play and to learn properly learn to read properly and i was always a bit dyslexic around the properly bit i mean i did do my grade 8 and all my grades under duress on and off always thought of it as a school subject always loved just sitting and dabbling and improvising both with the piano and with my voice and what that has taught me is even when i was teaching gcse's and a levels in school and in college that there's as now we're saying also there's so many ways in to music and to learning and i am still learning i learn every time i run a choir session i learn from my colleagues like nav I learn from the young people or the adults who are singing. I learn how they're accessing things and how they're not accessing things and how maybe I can improve my teaching skills to help people access. And I'll never forget working with children in GCSE and I remember I had this one class where one one of the girls it was a girls school and one of the girls was grade 8 clarinet and grade 6 piano or something and was coming to all the music lessons and another girl Mm-hmm. absolutely loved music but she wasn't learning any instruments she hadn't had that opportunity or had never thought of it had never been pointed out to her i don't know why but she loved it she came to all the extracurricular and she struggled a bit with mm-hmm. aspects of music she was great on time and rhythm um 
and was able to improvise a little bit with keys on the keyboard or on a percussion instrument or with her voice, particularly if there was already a driving rhythm. She absolutely loved it. She came to absolutely everything and they were both doing GCSE music. And the one girl who was doing GCSE music barely had to make any effort to pass GCSE music and she got an A star. And the other girl who had given her passion and her soul got a D. And she came to me afterwards and said, why, why did I only get a D? I absolutely love music and I came to absolutely everything. And I just said to her, and maybe this is a bit, um, maybe this is a bit, um, mm-hmm. what's the word? It's a bit of an activist approach against teaching, but I don't mean it to be. I just said to her, the GCSE exam assesses a tiny part of you as a musician, a tiny part. And if you, you know, it's a bit like that wonderful cartoon where the judges are all, what are they? The judges are all monkeys and lined up for the test are the monkey, the elephant, the snake, the tiger, the, you know, you've seen that one. Yeah, yeah. And say, okay, you're now all of you going to climb that tree and we're going to give you a grade kind of thing. Yeah. Well, obviously the elephant failed, but the elephant has many fantastic other qualities. Mm. So I did, have, it, it was difficult to explain this. And I know that this student is still, the first student has given up all of the music she was doing. I've been in touch with her since. It was like a school subject for her, the clarinet, the piano. She's not making any music at all. The other student I've seen on various community music projects, joining choirs and still immersed in music and absolutely loving it, even though she got a D for GCSE. So it's important to understand what exams are assessing. And it's important to find the people that you admire and love musically and dig deep into what they're doing Mm. and if you're interested in what that exam is accessing by all means study for it and go for it but there are so many ways to learn these days you've got so much stuff online i just look you know if i need to understand a scale or something i can just google it i mean and young people can do the same i can create a whole track without understanding or writing any notation. It helps if you understand notation. It helps from one aspect, but the majority of people in the world don't read classical Western notation. And I'm a bit dyslexic in that as well. And I'm, I'm learning all the time, the new ways that young people access music. It's, it's way beyond the sort of expectations I had when I was at school or even when I was teaching in a school. And it's growing and changing all the time. So I think the short answer to a, after a long answer is to keep your ears open to keep noticing what your heart resonates with, where you're, what you love to listen to, who you admire, follow them, dig deep into what they're doing and then find the courses or the training or the opportunities that take you in that direction. I don't know if that's helpful. Does that answer your question or no. did you go off track, Billy? No, absolutely. No, no, I, I can see. <laughs> it absolutely answered the question. Yeah. And um, to Nav as well. I think, again, um, this is where it's kind of interesting how Jay and I speak at the same time because, you know, um, we agree on a lot of philosophies of what's going on. Um, I, I love to Jane's point of music assessment itself only really evaluates a small part of you as a musician because there's so much more. Jane and I are talking about one of Jane's visions, which is to come up with a kind of qualification for young people who are developing as music leaders that is about all the other stuff that you need to have as a skill, otherwise you can't. Um, you know, really function in the world of music life. Um, and even if you look at the people who are studying music at the colleges, the, you know, the Royal Academy and the Royal College, you know, the high end of classical, Western classical music, their, all their degree programs and structures are all changing to involve making them 
not just able to sit and play an instrument really, really well, giving them the social skills to kind of go out and plan a concert, book a venue, handle all the production emails that have to happen, you know, all these other things. But so the world of music and how music is educated is changing all the time. What's interesting in doing it at the other end is that you kind of, you, you see, you live a life of watching what's happening with the music in people's lives. And um, I think the impact level to me is is always in the stories that I see in the people that we're serving. So most of what James was saying was about those students and how that affected them. That's what happens to us, I think, later. I have a, a person who's in one of my choirs, and they had a lifelong passion for a music group. They had they made their own T-shirts of that music group. They choreographed all their music group songs. They uh, saved all their money and bought tickets to every single one of those music group's concerts they could as they were growing up. That person grew up, had a family of their own, two beautiful daughters, has had a career, you know, is successfully in their late thirties, you know, a, a grown person, an adult, a, a real functioning adult. But one night at three o'clock in the morning on Facebook posts a picture and um, saying, I can't get to sleep yet. And that's because what happened was they um, had joined this community choir, which I ran. And in that community choir, having had no audition, they were just singing along with the group, but an enthusiastic member. So they were selected to then go stand on stage at the O2 wow. on the national tour of that group. And so the picture that they posted on, on and they, the fact that they couldn't sleep at three o'clock in the morning was because they had a picture of that hero in a circle, the hero's name, and then a circle with just them, and, and a circle with an arrow that went up and just said me. And, you know, they were so I can't believe I got to do this. Like, it, all the other things they'd managed to achieve in their lives, and they still had this place where their dreams were kind of far away. And, and the impact of doing music is that it's so oddly wide-ranging. It's so it's therapeutic for you it's amazingly freeing for you and at the same time it can also help you achieve little goals or dreams or or, or you know and and build friendships and connections with people that you would never have you know had in most other environments and and so this was a, a choir member on stage would take that with a picture of gary barlow and um, you know and mm-hmm. and having been hard not gary barlow the entirety of their lives and they couldn't believe that they now did eight nights on tour with Gary Barlow in front of 15,000 people a night on stage of the O2. And for, for them, that was just, and so I remember that. I don't really care to remember all the rehearsals we did and the millions of emails I had to send to help that all happen. Um, and then had 36 of our choir members come and do that, rehearse for months and, and then come and do the tour nights and manage which ones could do which night, which ones couldn't. All those things go away. You don't remember those things, but you, but the impact is, is, sheer joy of watching other people have these experiences and these moments and that is absolutely special um, mm-hmm. for us i guess it's great to know how you both um lead organizations um so nav as well as jane but nav i wanted to ask you personally how has your organization been impacted by the covid so um again such a there's so many ways so many things that we could kind of unpackage um to frame very quickly, an, an organization that I run, um, one of them is something called MD Branch, Musical Director Branch. The idea that um, a musical director is actually, uh, I don't want to say lonely profession, but it takes a lot of intensive time on, on your own to be able to make it work. Then you look like you're very busily social all the time in a room with lots of people and then all these concerts and events and stuff, except 
uh, as we were just talking before we did the record, um, there's a lot of production time and production value that you have to have. Then there's all the kind of, I am my own admin department and my marketing department. So, you know, I'm doing all my own social media, all of these things, it all takes time around the actual act of then also finding time to prepare the music and then going to the event and being there and encouraging and, and being the leader and the safeguard for everybody there. Mm. Um, so then the idea of a brunch is a really chilled out, relaxed meal where you're hanging out with friends. It's so cool. It doesn't even have a time of day as a meal. It just happens. And um, so the idea that a, a safe space where musical directors can come together and share and talk about and learn from each other and skill share and grow. So that organization wasn't really an organization and it was just me bumbling along trying to find time to organize these things behind all the millions of other things I was doing. What happened when the pandemic hit was in the UK as a low conservative estimate, there's something like 42,000 choirs, 2.2 million people singing. And there are all these organizations that already exist that bring choir directors together, obviously, to, to grow. There are no real stated routes into um, becoming a choir director. There's one, there's one version of it. You could be a choral director who goes to university, studies music, studies conducting, and then lands up in front of big choral societies and possibly the orchestra. That's one route, but it's, it's a very small niche of the big music uh, the space that exists for singing. Now, um, all of these organizations put together had nothing in terms of reach on these 42,000 choirs. So all of those directors are out there kind of reinventing the wheel for themselves every week and trying to take care of these groups, figuring out how to do recordings, figuring out how to do, um, uh, you know, manage an event. Um, whereas they could have so much help and support from each other if they were involved in these organizations. When the pandemic hit, suddenly a lot of these choir directors didn't know what to do and weren't aware of what was going on. So they jumped on onto Facebook and went, hey, how, and they were looking for people to, to tell them how to do stuff or for help on trying to decipher the government guidance on what happens in the pandemic in terms of singing, in terms of safe activity in the arts and music. And um, so the Department for Culture, Media and Support, DCMS, and the Department for Education, DFE, and they would be issuing guidance to teachers and music scene, and mm -hmm. 42 pages long and waffle, and people couldn't understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. So in between them, some organizations like ISM, Incorporated Society for Music, and the MU, the Musicians Union, and something called Making Music, which is an amazing organization, they were doing really good work trying to pull together guidance and advice that was simple to understand, and actually spoke to the core issue of what choir, choir leaders needed. Now, that was available, but people didn't know about those organizations, so they didn't know where to look. So they jumped on Facebook and went, how do I, who do I do? How can, can I find it? Somebody tell me what to do. So they joined all these groups, and suddenly there was a huge growth of these online Facebook groups that were about choir directors getting together to figure stuff out. Now, MD Bunch mm. had already just made a decision to get a little bit more formal, get a little bit more organized, and so a team had been put together, and in January we sat down and had some strategy meetings, and so we got ready. And then March, pandemic hit, and the lockdown hit, and then the Facebook group we'd already just set up suddenly exploded to four or five hundred directors um, in there. And what it then meant was that our organisation wrapped up being really a, a nexus and a useful place for lots of people to come together and talk. And again, this goes back to what Jane was saying, that you know, when you're sitting in your seat, staring at your GCSE results, trying to decide what to do with your A-level, then trying to decide what to do you know, with your life, mm. I think what Jane said was really important, that at best, you, you do your best to make choices that are about things you know, 
you will study well now so that you can get the results to keep the doors open for you for later because you just never know what opportunities are actually going to come up later that might move you around and especially in the creative media and the creative arts the number of people and the, the ability for you to move from one part of the spectrum to another part of the spectrum is huge so just before we started recording mm-hmm. i mean jane can speak to this more but you know you land up at a choir which eventually gives you your event management experience the stage management experience and sound engineering experience and video editing experience and and it just keeps going and so eventually you know it's important that you remember to grab a hold of things you you're passionate about learning more about now that will keep the doors open later. So I'm saying this because I had no intention of being a choir leader. That was never part of the plan. I didn't know that I had a plan at, the, at that time. I, you know, all I was doing was music, I was having fun doing it. But now, thanks to the leadership from people like Jane and others, I, you know, I've wound up in a position where I am running an organization, mentoring and supporting other leaders doing music. I, didn't see that coming at all. I'm learning about issues to do with management and management strategies, and I'm learning about those, about technology. And you guys are doing this podcast. I don't really understand what a podcast is or where it goes, how it works, or how you find one to listen to. But you know, at some point, I'm going to be learning to do that because in the last year, I teach myself how to make videos, how to edit videos, and started a whole series of interviews with people, and I never had any of that before. So. What's happened is the organization itself has massively evolved, massively grown, and had to respond to the pandemic in order to support everybody around us, which has been great and exciting. I made huge numbers of new friends who are really now integral to my life. I see them every week. We discuss for hours topics that we need to know about, and I've never met them physically in the real world. Mm. And then following that, I've had to grow myself in skills. I've had to learn how to do lots of new things. Um, That's a very long answer. I'll stop now. All right, so uh, moving on to the next question. So what kind of advice would you give to them um, of getting into the industry, like the music performing art industry? Well, it's such a huge question again, Billy, and I think we've addressed it to some extent Mm. throughout this conversation. Um, Your questions have been poignant and shown that there are many routes and uh, many ways, and often people who end up in various aspects of the industry didn't know they were going to be there. They certainly didn't plan to be there when they were doing their GCSEs and their A-levels or their BTEC or their um, arts awards or whatever route they took through education. It is We do know that the uh, music industry, I think well, it's a massive employer in the world and in this country for the economy, it's massive. Um, and as Nav said, for example, if, you, if you're in a community choir, Apart from the joy of learning a lot of different music and meeting people of like-minded and, you know, levelling up, levelling down, everybody in the choir has that equal shared passion, no matter their background, no matter their schooling, no matter their um, academic prowess, whatever, there's a connection there. Then they go and do a performance or they go and do a collaborative project with another choir. They're getting the experience of going to another context. They might go into a studio and record their parts. And then they see an engineer working and they look on the screen. So often you might discover your route completely by accident because you get drawn to something. If you already have an idea, I mean, that's why it's good to start broad, taste many things, try many things, be open to the learning, listen, 
what like if you have a favorite musician let's say you love to listen to I don't know, Tito Puente or Gauri Chowdhury. She's one of our local Bengali musicians. Whoever you like to listen to, imagine how did they get onto that stage that you're watching or listening? How did, how did, they, how did this CD come to be in your hand? Mm-hmm. You know, stay open to all the possibilities and imagine the journey, research it. And many of the sort of B-Tech music technology courses will give you a breadth. There are colleges that sort of do music industry as a part, as a unit. You could look at those courses. If you've studied an instrument, um, a classical European Western instrument, and you've been learning to read music, you might want to go deeper into composition of that style. You might want to understand more about the theory or you might want to already dig deep into a sort of jazz approach and look for jazz courses where you learn more about harmony and improvisation around scales or you might want to learn bangra music and you want to get to the roots of that and you're going to follow some of the great musicians in that find yourself a tutor that doesn't necessarily it might take you through exams of a different of another kind you know like just the instrumental exam you might find that you really are always interested in helping if the choir, if, if you're in a choir, helping them set up the PA, you know, you find you always want to go and get a better microphone or you, you're really curious about, you know, you want to make sure that the mics work through the right amplifiers and the right speakers and you you get angry when the sound doesn't work. Maybe you're a sound engineer, you know, then start looking at those kind of courses. So I think just be alive to what motivates you, but don't shut down other opportunities to be exposed to many things. How can you know if you've not tried, you know? So making a commitment to some kind of a community project like a choir mm-hmm. or a band or an orchestra, some a, a group that has a shared passion that goes into many different contexts. Um, mm-hmm. I think that way you might begin to see other possibilities. Plus, be open to studying in whatever area interests you. To make a living as a as a singer is you need a portfolio of work i mean the dream to become a superstar i certainly had that dream initially i ran my own rock band you know i i worked as a dental surgery assistant and as a, another assistant and a bit of temp part-time nursing bits and pieces i did to fund my band to go into the studio to record songs to rehearse we had to hire rehearsal space and everything i worked so hard um and i really believed we were going to break into the big time and we got some interest um, as a writer, as a songwriter, I did manage to get a publishing deal for a while, but I realised the stars need to align in so many ways to be able to make a good living as a singer. I did make a living as a singer, as a piano bar player for some years, but it, the fact that I played the piano helped, which went back to the fact it was very, I was very lucky, like now, to have a parent that made me keep learning the piano, even though I, I often I really wanted to give it up. I, I didn't like the slog, I didn't like the hard work, I didn't like all the effort. Um, I just wanted to be a freestyle, kind of have fun musician. <laughs> but I'm so grateful now to my dad who made me keep doing that. And we don't all have a parent that will persist on that. We don't all have those opportunities, I know. So, But the, the whole, I also know that many a fantastic musician that I love to listen to now never studied piano and never did any of these things. Um, they found their their route, you know, often through social community settings, they find organisations like musicians, uh, youth music, who fund young people, sound connections. Um, there, are, there are many organisations that support young people to find their way. The Wired 4 programme through Sound Connections, they will, they will help you find where your passion is and they'll support you to team up with other more professional artists. You know, our Living Song, our very own Artist Approach Project, 
brings aspiring young musicians, singers and producers together with professional artists and they get to be in the studio with those professionals and see how they operate. Mm -hmm. Just to taste how it, that feels, you know, they're not going to get an exam qualification at the end of it, but they're going to get the experience. And some of them are already saying, oh, I want to do more of that. And they didn't even know they wanted to do that before they came on the project. So get stuck in. Life goes by quickly. That's what I'd say. Jump into as many opportunities to see what uh, motivates you. Yeah, Jane, to pick up on what you said earlier, so you mentioned that like, you had to do extra jobs to fund like the, the band. So how competitive do you think um, the performing art industry is? Mm. Mm. Well, it's competitive in that those, those with talent and a vision and with the most amount of energy, hard work, um, will rise. You know, they'll... they'll I, I know people who used to hang, singer-songwriters that used to hang around the publishing company where I, I had two years of being a house writer for Chrysalis Music and I was down in their studio. I was given a chance to just hang out with a producer and write songs and collaborate with other writers. And I was paid to do that, which was an incredible thing. And I probably didn't make the most of that opportunity. I know others who were just at the door all the time they were in that studio. I, you know, I couldn't get space and it didn't bother me much that I didn't get space because I've never really understood. I've been brought up to think that music was an accomplishment. I was, mm. I came from a middle-class white family. Um, I was a young girl. I wasn't encouraged to go to university. I've been since as a mature student, but I was learning the piano as an accomplishment, I think, so that I'd make a good wife for somebody probably in those days, you know? Um, so different reason for different motivation of my parents from, from now. So it's a whole different thing but the result is the same I had an opportunity to learn a lot of music and things so it was the people who were persistent who didn't take no and the other thing as a young as a young woman when my when my A&R representative who now runs 19 management um, Simon Fuller Simon Fuller the fact that I was actually <laughs> managed by him I should be a, an absolutely massive star now because he's brilliant. He discovered Madonna and loads of people. He was discovering Madonna when I was in that studio. <gasps> I wasn't really taking it very seriously because I was kind of like, it was like, a, it was still in my mind a little bit of a hobby. Nobody had said, if you work hard, if you believe in yourself, if you don't take, you know, the, the, some of the A&R people would say, oh, we like the chorus, but we don't like the verse so much. Can you change the verse? And I go, go scurrying away and go, oh, I need to change the verse because, you know, the people that say so say. I never went, no, I'm sorry, I like the verse. This is how I like my song. This is a good song. Go out and work this song. Get this song to those artists. I know the artists. That I never I never had that um, belief in myself. And that's partly why I think I'm so passionate in education. That I really want young people to believe in themselves, to know that they have a voice, what they believe and want to do. They must push for that. Their ideas might change over time, but but they need to believe in them. At the same time, stay open and humble to people who are, have been successful to see, you know, what they can learn from that. So, yeah, that yeah, that's mm -hmm. a little bit more of my journey. <laughs> it's been great and lovely to hear you guys' um, stories and journeys as well as advice. I feel like I've almost been inspired myself and I feel like I'm kind of discovering my passion for music right now um it's been lovely to have you guys um on our podcast talking about your experiences thank you so much again for joining and we'd like to see everyone else later thank you thank you helen thank you billy thank you diana for inviting us